Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Coming at you today from the mind of Playgirl Centerfold Peter Still, we bring to you Typo Negative Bloody Kisses. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tracy. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? Not too bad. I told you I'd fit it in somewhere. You did, you did. You got it in the very opening. Just get that out of the way. Yes. This is also the ninth year uh, since he passed in 2010. Yeah. Talk about an intricate person and a weird person. Yeah. So, for those of you who haven't figured it out by now, we are going to be reviewing Typo Negative this week, specifically their 1993 Roadrunner release, Bloody Kisses. And this will be the third album of our spooktacular spooktacular October. Yes. It's cool. It's been a fun ride so far. It has, it has. And I think it's very interesting that we are doing this after doing dancing, because often these two bands, at least in the circles that I ran in, were compared to each other. Hmm. How so? Because I kind of see it, and I kind of don't. Well, it was about the fact that both of them are, for lack of a better term, horror metal bands, Mm -hmm. um, and that they deal with kind of the cheesiness and goth of, and I don't know that they would use that term cheesy, but I will, um, and darkness in their lyrics. Um, They are both fronted by guys who, dancing much more than Peter Steele, um, are, strike a certain aesthetic. Um, You didn't often see Peter Steele bare-chested, but both of them had somewhat muscular development, dark hair, baritone voices. Um, Steele's is much deeper than dancing's, but... Mm -hmm. So th- that's where the comparisons come from. Okay. I feel like with Steel, his is more of tongue-in-cheek, but Dan's yes. was super more ser- was much more serious. I-, I think so, too. Although, and I don't know this, but you know, and you might have more insight because it sounds like you've done a little bit more research into Peter Steele himself than what I have. Um, I think they both live the aesthetic to a certain extent, but I do think, and you can kind of see this in the album, that for typo, especially in the early stages, it was much more tongue-in-cheek than Danzig. Danzig definitely takes his shit seriously. And you can tell that from interviews where he's talking about reading Heidegger and philosophy and stuff like that. And you don't really get any of that necessarily from Peter Steele, or at least I've never heard it in an interview. Yeah. And, like, I've, I just kind of skimmed the top. I mean, there's always the iceberg of knowledge on the Internet. I'm pretty sure many of us have seen that picture comparing to the iceberg and – but um, sure, yeah. With Peter Steele, like one thing that stuck out to me was that he did an interview with Howard Stern, and he's like, "It sounds like your lyrics are just pretty much you wanting to kill your girlfriend yourself." And he's like, "Yeah, kind of. It's the dream." And like, he's well, a big fan of Kurt Cobain because he would openly say he had the balls to go through with it. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that too. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. The, the comment that stuck with me, and I can't remember who said it, and I don't remember if it was actually somebody I knew, or if I read it somewhere, or what. But um, Glenn Danzig looks like he's made out of granite, and Peter Steele looks like he's carved out of marble, implying that there is a certain softness to Peter Steele, a sensitivity that is missing from Danzig, and I think that that is true. Oh, yeah. I can definitely see that. And we'll probably get into a little more, but you can tell with Peter's vocals throughout the album that he kind of 
implies or puts emphasis on certain syllables to kind of to make it a little more tongue in cheek as opposed mm-hmm. to like actual super seriousness. Yes. And before we get too far into this, um, I want to make a note that there are two versions of this album that are, are out there that were released around the same time. So there's the album that version that we're talking about, which came out in 93, the full length. Then in 94, they released a digipack, which my dumbass got because I thought it was a special edition. And on that, the track lineup is, is, is different than what it was on the original. So I'm just going to go through this and this might be boring for some people, but so the album version that we're reviewing starts with machine screw goes into Christian woman, black number one, Fay Ray come out and play, kill all the white people, summer breeze, set me on fire, dark side of the womb. We hate everyone. Bloody kisses. Three O one F or three O I F too late frozen blood and fire and can't lose you. The Digipack that came out the next year, 94, only it, this is the track listing for it. Christian Woman, Bloody Kisses, Too Late Frozen, Blood and Fire, Can't Lose You, Summer Breeze, Set Me on Fire, Suspended in Dust, and Black Number One. You have more experience listening to that one, I'm going to say. Is yeah, because I don't think a, you've ever listened to that one. <laughs> no, I haven't. Is there more of a cohesive like sound all the way through? Because listening to the first one you read off, which is what they have on Spotify... Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a lot of jump cuts and abrupt changes in that version. Well, that one has a lot. Uh, I don't necessarily know that it's jump cuts and abrupt changes. There's a lot of the tongue-in-cheek um, theatrical well, skits in there and some samplings and stuff. That, so you, you don't have like the the opening industrial sounds of World Woman Orgasm and a machine screw. You don't have the the tribal music and them just making noises of favorite come out and play. So, I mean, it takes that stuff out of it. Well, it was being more like in between songs that didn't have the skits and, uh, what's the phrase? Ambience noises somewhat. Ambience may be too soft. The word <clears throat> that it didn't have those in it, but like, it seems like from song to song, like there'd be abrupt changes. Like it just cut from one to the other. Uh, that wasn't my experience of it, so I can't really say that. Um, um, so, I mean, I don't know. And, and that could just be because I've been listening to it for, now oh, fuck, I got the damn thing when it came out. So I've been listening to it for the better part of, what, 26 25. years now? Yeah. Well, then, I know Can't Lose You, and it threw me for a loop the, the first listen through. Is it just, it sounds like it's going to keep going or going to a new track, and the album just ends? Yes. And I was wondering if that was by design or it is. Okay. I mean that is that is one of the things that um, about that track specifically, uh, aside from the use of sitar, that it sounds very um, '70s psychedelic rock, and that was kind of a, a throwback to that. It just plays until it ends and abruptly, as opposed to fading out. Like you know when we were talking about the doom hippie aesthetic that. Um, Black Sabbath kind of came up with where they would just play everything and then kind of fade out. This was just that play, and then there's a hard stop. Okay. Well, actually, we're kind of already there talking about the album. Well, we are talking about it a little bit, um, but yeah. I just wanted to make that note. Um, I will say that I we're not really going to talk much more about the Digipack, but I will say that if you do not like interludes or skits on your album to seek out that version which unfortunately is not on spotify 
um, and listen to that because that does sound much more coherent like an album. So I think you yeah. would enjoy it more for that reason. Um, and it's interesting how they reordered the tracks. And all of that was done at the band's request. That wasn't the label. The band said, hey, take this stuff out and put these songs in a different order. So I mm. think that is a, an interesting note. Okay. Well, you could create a new playlist in Spotify and kind of reorder yourself unless there's tracks that appear on the Digipack that aren't on the actual the first Bridge Edition release. There's one. Uh, well, man, you, you kind of started doing it. So, you know, and I've been listening to this for a long time. So this is honestly one of your first spins of the album. So what were your initial thoughts? Okay. Um, initial thoughts. My... I haven't really ever had a chance to listen to Type or never have really sought them out to listen to to them outside of one song. And you could thank the Mortal Kombat soundtrack for that. I was, I think, 10 years old when I got that soundtrack. And it had Blood and Fire on it. And from 10 till now, I've known that song by heart. But anytime else I've heard um, Typo Negative, it didn't quite have the same sound to me. Like, it was a different... Like Black Number One, Bloody Kisses, there's a very distinct tonality change between Bloody Kisses, between Nose and Blood and Fire. And I think that kind of turned me off towards them. Um, but for me, this would be my first full listen through the album. My first time through, I felt probably similar to how you felt with Chemist. I was expecting them to kick it in a higher gear. I was always waiting for that really to go heavy moment, and it never came. And I was disappointed in that. Okay. And like I knew it wasn't coming, but I, the guitar sounds, the way they wrote the music, like I feel like they're building up to this massive crescendo of sound, and it just kind of left you there. No, they are a uh, much closer to a doom stoner band in that aspect, in that they play everything. Uh, I guess sludge would be more appropriate. Very slow, glacially moving wall of sound as opposed to building up and then like into a breakneck car crash speed and like i was waiting for that maybe change of pace is a better word either a stop or go but it seemed like they were, they were building up to something that the first listen through i felt like never came and so that kind of really well blood and fire is the f- fastest track on the album so i can see why you were expecting that if that's what you were <laughs> initially introduced to and because that, because to me, that is where the album kind of kicks into a different gear than the rest of it. <laughs> and speaking of Blood and Fire, like I feel like there's several times throughout the album, like the first three seconds of Blood and Fire, like that guitar sound, I feel like shows up a couple of times at the end of a song or beginning of a song. I'm like, oh, Blood and Fire now. Kind of like I'd perk up and it wouldn't be Blood and Fire. And you're just like, oh, it's not. Because, huh. you know, I just kind of listened to these on my phone with headphones and just kind of had the phone not paying a not looking at what's going through, listening to it while I'm working and stuff. And I feel like I was kind of like, here's Blood of Fire. Just kidding. And I noticed that it feels like there's a couple of those coming up. It's very interesting because we're talking about Blood and Fire. I'll go ahead and, and slip this in here. Um, so Revolver has an article entitled Bloody Kisses, 10 Things You Didn't Know About Typo Negative's Masterpiece. And one of the things is that almost everybody in the band hates the song Blood and Fire. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, then. <laughs> I mean, yes, take that for what it is, but uh, uh, let's see, you know, which I know that's like your favorite song on the album, so not to, not to be a, a doubter, dude. But I wonder I wonder if it's kind of like, um, I'm drawing to blank a new guy who did Warrant, was Cherry Pie, 
in which like cherry pie went after they wrote it that was all that that band was known for was cherry pie cherry pie cherry pie and i wonder if to an extent it's similar to that is like just blood and fire but you think about it blood and fire isn't really the yeah major no, song they're known for so it's no. not that not the case <laughs> that's, that's not. here's what it, they say about it in this um article and all credit goes to revolver magazine the fucking song is horrible hickey stated succinctly looking back on bloody kisses silver drummer sal abruscato agreed I remember all three of us cringing when we had to play that song, said the former, while the latter noted that it sounds too 80s. The romantic stuff never did it for me, Silver continued. I'd rather complain about romance than try to acquire it. Acquiring romance is something that you do at a bar when you're drunk, and you're probably drunk because you can't cope with the fact that you can't acquire romance. But acquisition, to me, doesn't really have a place in music. Still, however, admitted to having a special feeling for the song. It meant something to me, he said, and I'm not into the whole blood thing, but I do have a smoke and fire fetish. (laughs) So, the, the most important guy in the band liked it, so you have that going for you yeah so probably peter's like we're doing it oh get over it i'm sure and speaking of that let me uh normally i would have done this by now but we kind of got sidetracked um the performances on this album are of course peter Steele on lead vocals and bass guitar kenny hickey on backing vocals co-lead vocals for black number one acoustic guitar and electric guitar josh Silver backing vocals keyboard synthesizer and all that stuff and Sal Abruscato, who was drums and percussion, although he is not much longer for the band after this album. Outside of those overall, of what I'd stated earlier, the second listen through, it went a lot better because I kind of knew what to expect. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting more to come. And so it went a little better and I was able to focus more on the music instead of like, all right. And so I guess a couple of notes, I would say like Black Number One has a very effective bass line. That really kind of pulled me into it. Uh, yes. First time I learned to play on bass was black number one. Because it's relatively easy. I mean it's oh, it sounds like it's similar to on par with running with the running with the devil by Van Halen. Maybe a little faster. But probably the same note. The same intricacies. Intricacy. Yes. Um with Summer Breeze, there's actually a part in there. The keyboard moment reminded me of a song off an album from last year, Avoa's We Earth and Air, which is a super proggy, soundscapey band, which if you go check them out, if you haven't, if you're into that. And the the chorus lines for We Hate Everyone mm-hmm. is, I'm try, I don't want to do it. I don't want to destroy people's speakers. <laughs> but also even coming into this, like you were, I knew what typo negative were kind of are labeled as the gothic glam, dark sludge, you know, mixture that they are kind of beast that they are. And it was interesting to hear that as you go through the album, there's a couple songs that kind of have like a more of a punk vibe to them. That kind of have like that late '90s, early 2000s, um, my own worst enemy sound to it. Like would have been a welcome on the American Pie soundtrack. So like they do kind of change around with themselves but they are kind of different you know yeah yeah there's actually a very um 80s new wave sensibility to the ways the hooks and the melodies are constructed on this album which i i really did like um which i like dark wave music quite a bit um so i think and i didn't know that at the time but looking back on it now with my 2019 eyes 2019 eyes doo, 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 um and ears I, eyes. it is <laughs> i'm like the mega spider um yeah so i mean i can i can see that now where as a 17 year old 
I didn't hear or see that in the music and it was just dark and gothic in like the sense of the literature um very emotional very brooding um and that did appeal to me so i mean my first listen to this was i saw christian woman video on beavis and butthead and i was like whoa that is completely different (laughs) than everything um and then oh. I think there was also, and I might be wrong on this, so if you're if there's somebody out there who's an old fuck like me and, and remembers this better, um, I think when the PlayStation first came out, it, it came with a sample disc, and I think, or they used to send out a disc that had videos on it, and I think it was on one of those. I know that's how I got introduced to Corn, and I think Black uh, Typo Negative was on there, too. I'm trying anyway, to remember. Like, I know they used to release like a sample game for disc and stuff. Like you go try out games for your new system when they came out and see if you liked them. Kind of, you know, here's places, things you could play. But I mean, really, anybody of my generation only really remembers the rapper per rapper part of that. So, but this album was different than what I completely expected. Okay. Not completely expected, but it was definitely different than what I was expecting fully going into it. I was kind of expecting more of a him emo quality to it more and less of the i guess we're gonna pull some of the older style in with it like the punk and the 80s wave stuff that we talked about already i was expecting more of that and less i mean i was expecting less of that and more like him cry about love and really you realize how much these guys do not take themselves seriously with even just the fucking name titles of kill all white people right what about yourself? Which is very interesting, um, and I do agree with that. I think that they're the so. And another comparison between these bands, uh, this band, Typo Negative and Danzig, is the incorporation of punk. Even though when we were talking about Danzig too last week, we ta- I said that they are using a lot more blues and a little less of the punk. Um, and the, but they both carry the punk attitude a little bit into it. But with Typo Negative, that shows up in an irreverence and a you know, we don't care. I think that song sums up their punk thing, their punk aesthetic incredibly well because it's, we don't care what you think. We don't, you know, but we're also not taking it ourselves super seriously. I mean, just the opening lines of that, which is like left-wing Nazis, right-wing commies, which is, a you know, makes no fucking sense if you know anything about what those terms actually are, but gets the point across very well, I thought. Yeah. So with this being an album that you've had in your at least album history for 25 years, how has this album more so changed for you and grown on you? Or how do you differently interpret the day as opposed to how you should, how you interpret it when you're younger? Like if you want to expand more upon that. Um, well, you know, uh, hmm, that's an interesting question. And by interesting, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to answer it. So I'm going to stall for a few minutes and, and filibuster like a good Kentuckian. Shout out to Henry Clay. Um, so what I'll say is this. I hadn't listened to the entire album in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going back and listening to it. And when I the last time I had listened to it, it was on CD and it was probably the DigiPack. Because I like the DigiPack a little bit better because it does cut out some of that extraneous stuff. Um, but listening to this again, 
I felt like this album is a puppy with big feet. I could tell that they were <laughs> they were growing into something, but they were also still kind of clumsy and and I think and maybe this is a revisionist in interpretation and because of the fact that not a year after this album came out, they did release that digipack with a with some stuff taken off and, and that songs reordered. But I think that this album shows a couple of different paths that Typo Negative could have gone down, and I think we know which one they chose. Um, and going back and listening to this version of the album, I, re- I liked it a lot more now than I think I did then. And I was all about it then, but then I was about like Christian Woman and Blood and Fire and Death in the Family and uh, uh, Black Number One. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, um, let me go off on a non sequitur about that because. Peter Steele's bass sound is one of the best bass sounds in metal, in my opinion. And I, he is not a overly technically brilliant player, but I just loved that fuzz and distortion that he got on his bass. And I thought it melded very well with the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. I get what you mean by those, by this being a first out or not first album, but earlier album, you can see the many branches that can go down and looking back, you can kind of look into it. And I do feel like, the songs that they're most well known for that are their most popular are the ones that they ended up eventually is the path they eventually going down. And I want to say, I think they probably gambled right on that aspect. Cause I, you can't really envision it. Maybe this is hindsight of typo negative being more of a punk influenced band. You can't see them being, you could probably get by on the eighties wave. Cause you can use that to introduce some of the horror elements as well that they deal with. Well, and what they, you know, the two paths that I see diverging from that, and then other people might disagree, but like with stuff like Kill All the White People, um, and and some of the the Fay Ray come out and play, you know, Dark Side of the Womb, We Hate Everyone, that could have gone into a a much more SOD type of band than what they became, and that would have been interesting because. The thing that makes SOD, and I don't know if you are familiar with them or not, Tracy. I'm not. But the, uh, well, we'll ha- I'll have to put one of their their albums on here. They're Stormtroopers of Death, and they are kind of like a what we would call now uh, an all-star band. But anyway, what makes them interesting is the fact that they play really short songs that are just kind of humorous and funny. And they would have been – Typo would have been going the opposite route and playing long songs that were meant to be funny. Yeah. So – it's weird. I was just thinking about it that we're kind of s- sitting on opposite sides of the fence here with their extra tracks. I guess you could say on this one, mm-hmm. as to oppose our normal conversation. Because I feel like in these horror albums that those extra tracks do add a certain touch to the overall sound of the album to kind of help personify the horror aspects of it and the gothic parts of it. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I dislike those. I, because um, I do like them, and I like them. Um, on re-listening to the album, like I said, in this format for the first time in a long time, I remembered how much I did like them, and I remembered how what you consider jarring in the different stylistic elements that they had, I actually liked because there was a lot of change on the album, mm-hmm. or not a lot, but there was change on the album. It wasn't the same sound over and over and over again. Um, I think that, and I keep saying this, but I think that the reordering and removing of those elements made it a much tighter album, a much more cohesive album, but I do like this version. 
Okay. And I'll probably, maybe, I'll put this on, like, this, my normal, like, rotation kind of thing. I put it in the order of the Digipack and kind of see how it falls in. Sure. Um, let's move off of the, the our initial kind of thoughts of the album. Um, is there anything about the album that you didn't like? Like, the first listen to really kind of the waiting for it to go off and kind of kick into high gear really drew you back on the first listen through, as I previously stated. But nothing really stuck out to me like a store thumb. And okay. just, it's like, this is bad. Like, they shouldn't have done this. I don't agree with this. Because I feel like part of the things that's kind of like, uh, that's interesting. It was like the expressed or the emphasized syllables on some of the songs. And like the, he emphasized the K on the Wilt Mike Milk, White Milk Necks. And I don't remember exactly what song that is. Like that is kind of like, okay, but you kind of see why he does it because it kind of plays into it. And so I feel like even if the down points of this album that are kind of like, uh, okay. And you're kind of have a little confusion and lost as to why they did it. I feel like they could easily explain it for us because we don't take ourselves seriously. So we don't really, we put this in here on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like even the mistakes and anything like they chose to do that. And so you can't really, and so it kind of puts it in a weird, like, well, I get it. Cause it plays into their We're not super serious about this. We take we don't take ourselves too seriously. We're having fun. We're doing what we want to do. You can buy it as is, or you can go somewhere else. Sure. And that makes it a little bit harder. Like, well, this problem and this problem and this problem. The intros and exits of songs that sound like Blood and Fire, I just annoyed the piss out of me, though, because I was like, it's coming up. And it's not because it got me excited looking forward to that song because I'm reminds me of being 10 years old and not having any worries in life. So Mm. (laughs) Um, I was not a fan of the massive, uh, the massive cutoff at the end of the album. It just went just done (laughs) because that I was like, the fuck happened here? Like I, I thought it made me think in a sense that either I had forgotten album, like a song on the album, or I had put them in the wrong order or, that Spotify didn't have the rights to one, and so I wasn't getting the full actual version of the album. You, my friend, need to listen to more psychedelic music. I need a weed and acid for that <laughs> as well, but that ain't happening, so. Right. Um, what about yourself? Um, I can't think of anything about this album that I dislike at all. Um, yeah. Um, it's... We'll try to vocalize it, kind of what's going through my mind as best as possible. And this happens a lot with albums. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't really put my finger on one particular thing that I dislike about it or that I dislike about this or multiple things or whatever. But to me, the sound just, it doesn't quite fully scratch that itch. Like, a, there's maybe a few things that could be expanded upon to make it better, but I can't particularly point them out. Like, it's like that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like, I don't hate the album, but I don't think this is going to be an album that I'm going to maybe the Digipack version. I'll give it at least that listen through. But maybe after that, the Digipack version it may set better. But like, maybe I mean, but it sounds like you don't like the tonality of the band. And maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but, it, you know, the way you're describing it, you don't like the 
the fuzziness. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the, the things about this is it does have a very, I mean, I've, we've referenced the 80 new wave construction with hooks and melodies and stuff like that, but it's, it's overlaid and, and put through like a seventies analog, big muff fuzz, you know, um, which I liked. I mean, I like the tonal quality of the bass, the guitars, the distortion that's used. Um, and it doesn't sound like you are, which is fine. I mean, I'm just saying that this, mm. I mean, you know, you have said before that there are certain doom bands that you like and everything. And this is kind of doom adjacent. Um, it's I, gothic doom, sludge doom, whatever the fuck you want to mm-hmm. call it. Um, but I, I think it's just different enough from those that it, you don't like it. Like, and that may be fully the point of it. Like, I dislike is not the right word. Indifference might be a better frame. I think the they frame. would like that. This makes me indifferent. <laughs> like, a perfect example is if you want something that sounds similar to Typo Negative that's come out recently, Idle Hands album Mana. If it's right along the lines with these, it is being getting rave reviews, critical, major critical reviews. I've listened to it and just kind of like, eh, that's about where I fall on this. Eh. Yeah, and it might just not be your thing, and that's cool. And so, like, I don't want to be like, oh, it's amazing or it sucks, but it's, eh. <laughs> like, there's a couple of songs on here I like. Mm-hmm. But eh. well, let's move on to that then. What are the these standout tracks for you on this album? For me. Blood and Fire, of course, and No More Nights. Blood, Blood and Fire. fire. Yes, so Blood uh, and Fire. Yes, <laughs> Blood and Fire. I don't even think that nostalgia is more into that. I think it's more just the writing of that sound song. And like I was pleasantly surprised to hear the punk tracks on there. I'm sure I'm just slipping my mind on the names of them. But Black Number One and Bloody Kisses, like the two, I guess you'd say, main tracks that kind of came from this album that everybody, that every preteen girl fawned over, at least when I was in high school. <laughs> All the gothic kids kind of like the hey, four of us that there were. I, I mean, I, I kind of fawned over those songs, too, because I always <laughs> wanted to be a goth. I was just always too fat. And living in Kentucky, it's way too hot. So I just kind of did punk and metal aesthetic instead of goth. <laughs> but like... So you were a preteen girl as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like Black Number One and Bloody Kisses and Blood and Fire. And it was weird for me because I enjoyed Blood and Fire for the sound when I first heard it. And it stuck with me. Mm-hmm. But when I turned like 12 or 13 and realized what they were saying in the lyrics, I'm like, this is about love. It can't be about love. This is not right. <laughs> like the ideas of metal being having love songs, which now – 75% of the fucking songs in metal are about love? I mean, maybe. I don't know. A higher percentage than were at the time. But I do think that there is a, a vast distinction in what they are doing and what the emo metal bands are doing and the way that they're processing it. Yes. Um, I will agree with that because I can stand typo negative. Hmm? I can't do emo i just can't okay like the songs that are big when i was younger that everybody knows like helena sure but like you, you get past uh one or two tracks by a band i'm lost and i'm not a fan sure and so i think 
that might be it. And this, it just may not be my thing. That maybe all this is. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are the songs that you like. What songs, if you can be specific, did you not like, or just the songs that weren't those? Just the song that wasn't those, I guess. Really, because those are the three that really stuck out to me. And outside of like the small little parts of like Summer Breeze with the keyboards or the the we hate every one of the chorus parts of it like outside of that nothing really kind of stuck out to me in a sense like i knew they were there but they're not something i was like i hate this song or this is the best song okay how about yourself uh okay so songs that i really liked on this album um i mean i've already said christian woman black number one set me on fire uh bloody kisses one i even like can't lose you because i like the way that they incorporated the sitar on that and just the uh i actually like the hard stop for that song um one of my favorite moments that doesn't get talked about is the end of too late frozen Mm -hmm. i love that um just the that warble distorted effect that is probably i don't know if it was kenny hickey or josh silver that was singing that um i think it was josh silver but i mean if i was wrong i'm wrong and yeah so i mean uh, i i really like that um there's no track on this album that i consider a proper track song that i dislike um I'm not the biggest fan of Machine Screw, but it doesn't really bother me one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I don't like it is just because that's, I don't know, I, I, I don't like the high-pitched industrial noise more than anything else. My old-ass mini concerts going to ears do not appreciate the piercing sound of that. <laughs> yeah, causes a little bit of pain. Um, I don't, it's not quite that far because I know to listen to it on the, <laughs> at low volume and then I turn it up for the rest of the album. But yeah, yeah. All right, so I guess it's time to uh, grade this beach. Mm-hmm. And I will start off, I guess, and I give it a C plus. C plus. Okay. Okay. Uh, I give it an A minus. Alrighty. I feel like we did a good job of kind of extrapolating. Yeah. Why we felt like we did. This is this is your wheel. <laughs> In a way, I don't. It's not even that because I I don't hate the album. It's just. If you were a crawl, that's what I said about wheel. <laughs> <laughs> you hated the arrangement of the album. You're like these guys are good. If they were <laughs> the solo, yes, the sum of the parts is not greater than the whole. Yeah, I guess this is my wheel. It is. And that concludes the third spooktacular October album. And next week is the main event, which we will hopefully have edited and released on Halloween. Um, oh, fingers crossed. We're going to make it happen. Okay. Well, you're the guy we'll who actually done. edits, so uh, I, I believe you. Uh, yeah, we'll get it done. And we'll have our first special guest. I won't say any more, just in case the person doesn't make it. And then it'll just be this special guest will be the ghost of the person who was supposed to be there. <laughs> but um, what is it that we're doing next week? We are doing a double part or a double album over Halloween's Q 
Keeper of the Seven Keys, Part 1 and 2. Yes. The album, the band wanted to release as a double album, and the label said no, so they just released as two separate albums within a year. We could talk more about that, I guess, later. We will, we will. yeah. We don't want to get into that here, because it's it's not quite the uh, Great Pumpkin-Headed Halloween time yet. Oh, not yet. Not yet. All right, but well, I, I'm going to give you... Fun. Oh, no, it'll be fun. Uh, that'll be fun to talk about. I'm looking forward yes. to it. This was fun to talk about. If you like this album like I did or were indifferent about this album like Tracy or straight up hate it, just give us some feedback on Twitter. You can find Tracy at Cloaca Metal and myself at Ben Dangerously or search the hashtag Get Dangerous. Thank you for listening. And Tracy, I want you uh, to stay on the line after this and listen to the Stormtroopers of Death, S.O.D., the band I referenced earlier, Ballad of Jimi Hendrix. That is what we will call a... um, Easter egg for the rest of you to know what I was talking about if you didn't listen to Stormtroopers of Death originally. <laughs> All right. I'll take a listen to it. And where can they find our page at on Twitter? Where can they find our page? You're going to make me look that up. It, it is at ThunderdomeMet01. All righty, folks. Thank you for stopping by and listening. I've been looking for trouble that I found Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs>